friends, welcome. I'm Andrew Hicks, and you're listening to the Text and Context Podcast. Hey, Text and Context listeners. I just wanted to make you aware of some free resources that are available for you if this series of classes on Mark has particularly sparked your interest. So you can head over to my website, and I have an article that gives you all sorts of great free resources, links where you can follow and study Mark on your own time. So head on over to textandcontext.com forward slash Mark. Remember, it's text and context without ease. So that would be txt and contxt.com forward slash Mark. And there's all sorts of great resources there for you to come through, including a link to the PowerPoint that I've been using as I teach this class. So if you're only listening to this podcast and you're not actually present on Sunday morning in Bible class, then you can have access to this PowerPoint. Or if you are present, but you just want to reference the PowerPoint later, again, there's a link to that PowerPoint there, as well as a couple of book recommendations in case you really want to go for a deep dive into the Gospel of Mark. Either way, thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Yeah, you want to do it in Bible class? You want to make an announcement in church? Church. Cool. Hey, Rosemary. Um, Ron is going to make an announcement about Passover in church. So after you're done, say, hey, Ron. Cool. Good morning. All right. It's past 930, which means it's time for me to blabber on about Mark for a little while longer. All right. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I did order, so this is nerd level. So Hannah and I have been budgeting per Dave Ramsey, right? And so we give each other spending money like children each time we get a paycheck. I spent all my spending money on a big fat commentary on Mark that I've wanted for a long time. But I was so happy when it arrived in the mail, you don't even know. Ugh, it's fantastic. Katie, Greg! Mm-mm. You guys are here. There's breakfast out in the lobby if you want breakfast. Those are my friends. I do have friends. I know. I know. I know. I'm special. <laughs> I know. Mm-mm. I think they're going to sit back there at the table. Sure. Why does this? Oh. Oh goodness. I was gonna have Ezra help me teach, but I figured nobody would pay attention to me if he was up here. You're right. I know. I know. You have judged rightly. I don't even blame you. But we just want you to know we love you, too. Oh, good. Because yeah. I feel like chopped liver with him around. I know. It's hard to compare. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, 
Oh, by the way, preacher, no. none of those suggestions up there about the rock were correct. What? Yeah, none of them. Why? No, none of those are right. Why? <laughs> okay, all right, I'm ready to actually begin now. Good grief. Enough baby, friends, all that. All right, David, will you open us in prayer this morning? Sure. Awesome. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings in it. And we just pray your, your blessing and your hand here with us as we study your word and, and worship you and, and lift each other up to our Holy Spirit. Pray your blessing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're in the list of the 12 apostles. Ah, good stuff. In Mark chapter 3, I have been teaching Mark, Katie and Greg. This is my friends, Katie and Greg from South Carolina, here to visit us. Dr. Katie, Mr. Greg. They are, uh, but I, I've been teaching through Mark since I got here. And we're in chapter 3. I, I am going really quick. Yes, this is a quick study. Could be much slower. Um, so we talked about how Peter's name, Peter means... Rock, yes. So Peter the Rock Simon, as I like to call him, yes. And then the sons of Zebedee are renamed uh, Boanagrace, which means sons of thunder. Which that little detail is only given in Mark, by the way. Boom. Another reason Mark is the best gospel. But um, let's. I, I want to point something out while we're here. So notice Jesus went up the mountain. So of course I make a big deal about this because Mark is casting the mountain as the mountain, Sinai. But think about this. You have rock and sons of thunder on a mountain. Rock and sons of thunder on a mountain. So what did they have at Sinai? They had clouds of thunder and lightning, right? And they also had rocks. They had the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. But also, after they come down off the mountain, these are Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. The inner circle are the only ones that get new names. Peter, James, John, rock, and sons of thunder. Well, that means everywhere Jesus goes, he's accompanied by a rock and thunder, or at least the sons of thunder, which would be, it's almost like he's carrying Sinai with him everywhere he goes. This is Sinai mobile. He's carrying Sinai and revealing the God of Sinai with him everywhere he goes. Well, that's what the tabernacle was, right? The tabernacle was Sinai mobile. It's God's very presence in the midst of Israel, but like camping style, the the mobile temple, the temple camper. And so everywhere Jesus goes, he's carrying his, his posse and with him is rock and sons of thunder. He's revealing the God of Sinai. Now, so it's like the tabernacle in John chapter one, uh, John chapter one, verse 14. It talks about how, uh, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the father. Um, let's see John 1 14 and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Uh, Whenever it says he lived among us, it's the word for tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst us. He pitched his tent right here in our midst. Okay, that's how John talks about Jesus tabernacling. But Mark says it more like this. Isn't that interesting? So I think this is part of the reason I love to emphasize the way each gospel author tells the story. They end up saying a lot of the same things, but it's not what, it's how. Because there's a beauty to the way what we say about God is said, not just that we say it. The purely practical sense that like, well, there you go, that's it. How boring. There's multiple ways to express a deep truth. And so uh, I think this is the way Mark has chosen to represent that. Um, also... Um, uh, what was I going to say? 
Oh, I also, uh, uh, so the stone, I'm also reminded of the memorial stones in the wilderness. You know how everywhere Israel went, they were like, we need to remember this. And they'd set up these little stone structures. I just find it interesting that Peter serves such a pivotal role in like the front runner, the foreman of the 12 and of the early church. I mean, so is he kind of like a memorial stone also in a certain way, given that his name is Rock? Is he kind of this, this um, testimony memorial to the living Jesus? Um, also, remember, Mark probably got the information for his gospel from Peter. Listening to the sermons of Peter in Rome is probably where he got them, got it from. Um, or, if you want to take it a more um, a less prestigious route, could he be the rock that had to get struck by Moses to provide water for Israel? That's, up, that's more up Simon Peter's alley, right? Has to get struck to be worth much. Okay, so James and John, sons of Zebedee, um, they're named Grace, and Mark tells us what that means, sons of thunder. Andrew is called along with Peter earlier in the story, but he's mentioned after. So Andrew, comma, the brother of Simon Peter. Bless his heart. Um, yes? I think, I think it's weirdly interesting. I just noticed that every time that they say James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Yeah. saying James and John, the yeah. son of Zebedee. It, it's kind of strange. How many times did he get called uh, James. How many times did uh, Zebedee say, James, I mean, John, come on, help me get the boats in. I mean, he's the brother of James. So yeah, I like that detail. I love stuff like that. Mm. Why can't he be the son of Zebedee? The other son of Zebedee. Instead, he's the brother of James. Yeah. Bless his heart. Mm. Um, Zebedee's already been mentioned in the story as well. When James and John were called earlier, all the fishermen. Um, Zebedee, so remember fishermen in this world are actually somewhat well-to-do. They're, they're not, there is no middle class really, not in this world. But if there was, they'd be the closest thing. And they're, they're, they're not starving as much as the other peasants. So uh, perhaps Zebedee helps bankroll the ministry of Jesus some. You know, uh, Mark and other gospels play up on the drama that they drop their nets and immediately follow him. Yes. But also Simon Peter still has a wife and a mother-in-law and a house that they're using as the base of operations for Jesus's ministry. So it's like, you know, maybe James and John, maybe their daddy's proud of them. And like, yeah, go follow Jesus. Maybe they're very proud of, of uh, he's very proud of their sons. I don't know. And maybe he's helping bankroll. It's possible. Um, now, this is interesting. James is the Greek form of the word Jacob. So James is Jacob. That's what that name is. It's just, a, it's just, it's the difference between um, Jesus and Jesus. Tomato, tomato, right? It's one language versus another. It's Jacob. Now, isn't that more intriguing, right? That you have a patriarch name in there. Uh, and it also, it means heel grabber or supplanter because, of course, Jacob was the one that's grabbing Esau's heel from the womb, supplanting him. The younger takes over on top of the, the, the older. Zebedee comes from an Aramaic word, means gift of Yahweh. And John is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Johan, which means Yah who has been gracious. So there you go. It's good stuff, though. Graciousness, gifts, Jacob the supplanter. It's interesting. Judas should have been the supplanter. One of our readings today uh, has one occurrence of using the shortened form Yahweh. Yes, it does. So this happens a lot in the Old Testament, and we don't really represent it in our English translations very well. 
So in one of our Psalms that we did, let's see, we're on Psalm 124 this week. Uh, Psalm 122 in verse 4, to it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, all caps. It's not the full name Yahweh there. It's Yah, Y-A-H. Also, uh, in the Song of Songs, chapter 8, there's a phrase where it says, um, many waters cannot quench love, nor rivers sweep it away. Love is um, a raging flame. It's a Yah flame. So this is interesting. Now that I'm off on this, the Yah flame. So uh, you can use, in Hebrew, you can use Yahweh's name as a way to say it's ridiculously large. So in the same way that we're like, it's a God-sized city. It's like that, or like really the most, the closest English equivalent, and pardon me for a moment, is like, oh, that's God awful, right? Like that's not just awful, that's God awful. It, it's, it's like that, but in Hebrew it's, so like in Jonah, they go to the city and it's a three days journey across. And it says it's a huge city. Literally, it's a Yah city, a city unto Yah. It's, it's the Yahweh kind of sized city, huge. So in, in the Song of Songs, it says it's a Yah flame, a flame of Yahweh, which it's interesting in Song of Songs because Song of Songs is all about like the sexy double entente language. And so it's like on the one hand, it's saying it's a ridiculously large flame. On the other hand, is it suggesting that romantic love is always flamed by Yahweh himself? I don't know. It's double entente, so I don't know. Anyway, don't get me off on, on this. But. And, and that's part of the reason I chose the translation I did for this morning, Oren, because it, it says Yahweh instead of all caps L-O-R-D. And there are certain places where I think it just makes all the difference in the world. So, for example, uh, like the Shema. Uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's fine, but if you say, Hero Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone, it's different. It sounds different. The Lord is just another title for, and God. But if you say, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone, and then whenever it says, you shall honor the name of the Lord, well, it sounds different whenever you say, you shall honor the name of Yahweh, which is his name. I don't know. To me, it just it, it brings the scripture alive more. But it's preserving that ancient Jewish tradition to, to honor, not saying his name. But sometimes I'll, I, I have probably done this in preaching and teaching already, but I'll be reading along, and every time I see L-O-R-D, I just say Yahweh. Um, I don't know. Some people are like, who's Yahweh? <laughs> That's God. <laughs> God has a name. God is not God's name. God is a title. Yeah. Um, only Mark, I already said this, only Mark mentions sons of thunder. Only he provides that detail. So Boane, sons of, regdes, uh, agitation or tumult or thunder. Um, there are other sibling pairs referred to in Greek literature, uh, as sons of thunder. In fact, Xenophon's kids were called sons of thunder. To me, the best I can gather from what I was reading is it, it's something like the rowdy boys. It's, it's, it's more like those sons of thunder always causing trouble. It's like uh, those Hicks boys. Ugh. It's like that, right? It's that kind of thing. Um, and and that, that's, that's what I, I think it's kind of going on. Uh, also, uh, thunder and lightning, again, were signs of God's revelation at Sinai. And this is uh, Amos chapter 4 from the Septuagint. For behold, I am the one who makes the thunder strong and creates a wind and announces his anointed to humans. Anointed. Of course, the word anointed is Christ, Mashiach, Messiah, yeah, uh, and uh, makes dawn and mist and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God, the Almighty. Yahweh God, the Almighty is his name. Yeah. 
So that's interesting. I don't know. I think there's something there. And then, of course, the gospel according to Isaiah, because Mark is just footnotes on the book of Isaiah. Uh, From the Lord's Sabbath, for there shall be a visitation with thunder and earthquake and a great voice, a rushing storm and a devouring flame of fire. Um, Sabbath. It's, it's a Septuagint translation, and so they're just trying to show that it's spelled weird in Greek. Yeah. It's from the NETS, New English Translation of Septuagint. Septuagint is, of course, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Like Maybe I'm just word. Oh, I mean, it could be a different one. I have no idea. I think, I think it's, it's Sabbath. Oh. Could be Lord of Hosts. I don't know. Okay, look it up. Isaiah 29.6. Look it up in Hebrew. Okay. Um, yes, the inner circle. These three are always given special privileges by Jesus. Again, they get to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration while the rest of them have to stay down below. They get to go in and see Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And they get to go a little bit further into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus to pray. They still fall asleep on him, but they get to go a little bit further than the others. Uh, so often they're referred to as Jesus's inner circle. That's what I've heard them referred to. It's never, they're never called that in the text. That's what we call them. Um, might be better to think of them as three pillars. Paul calls them the pillars of the church in Galatians 2. And this is one of the only places where Paul calls Peter, uh, Peter and not Cephas. Probably because Peter means rock and he's calling them pillars. So he's making a a play there, which is really clever. Uh, but also, I think we need to think of them as the new patriarchs of the new Israel. I mean, think about it. You got Jacob in there, right? You got um, you got John, which is another good Hebrew name. You got Rock, which, I don't know, has plenty of good Israelite associations. Maybe they're the new patriarchs of the new age. I don't know. I mean, they're certainly kind of serving in that kind of role, right? Their names are changed, just like the patriarchs were. They... They are these foundational figures to whom God has made special promises. I mean, I don't know it works. Did you find it? Oh, yeah, it's some of those. It's, it's a host of armies. Oh, I knew that. That's just making sure you knew that. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's that word. I, don't, I wish they wouldn't do that. Cool. Lord of hosts, which is, now that I'm off on other things, the Lord of hosts, you know that Chris Tomlin song? The God of angel armies is always on my side. You heard this? That's where he gets this from. The Message Bible translates Lord of hosts as the God of angel armies. Because that's what the hosts are referring to. It's not hosts like hostesses at Cracker Barrel. It's hosts like like armies. Yes, the angels. Yes. So. It's a specifically military term. Yes. Yes, the God of angel armies. Eugene Peterson for the win. Love Eugene Peterson. Um, and here's some of the other apostles, less well-known than the three. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite. Uh, Andrew is here not explicitly called the brother of Simon Peter, but we already know he's the brother of Simon Peter. He was called earlier. Uh, Andrew and Philip are both good Greek names. There's no underlying Hebrew there, which again is interesting to me. Like, Andrew clearly is Jewish, it seems to me. Philip, we just know nothing about Philip. I don't know. He might be uh, Greek. He's probably Jewish. But at the very least, it's just funny because you can just hear the conversation between Philip's parents. 
I don't care if it is a Greek name. I think it's pretty, and we're naming our son Philip. He will be teased at synagogue. I don't care. We're naming the kid Philip. It's pretty. Um, We know really nothing about Philip or Bartholomew from Mark. We know a little bit more about Philip from the Gospel of John. Um, There he is also called Nathaniel. Um, Probably the same person. So we really don't know much about either of them. There's a few small church traditions about them. But the problem with these is they arrive really, really late in the history. And some of them are early, but even then they just seem more... Uh, fantastic than anything because there's just no way to verify a lot of it some of it probably happened a lot of it we just don't know about the the traditions outside scripture about these apostles um, especially the ones that are more obscure so like if you have some traditions about like simon and john you're more apt to think that those are true because there's more of them anyway but then like bartholomew (laughs) there's like very few little traditions about Bartholomew, because apparently Bartholomew just wasn't high up on everybody's priority list to make traditions about. But um, so you you just never know. They're interesting. I can point you to some of them if you're ever wanting to read them. Um, They're fascinating and certainly they're encouraging. I think some of these early tradition stories, though, are supposed to be more like what we think of as um, like something you might buy at Lifeway. It's like an imaginative historical fiction. I think some of them are intended to be that. Um, Like, they're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes whenever some of these people do things that are like, that's kind of weird. I think they're they're trying to provide a a faithful example, you know, for for kids. Yeah, something like that. The original uh, VeggieTales, maybe. Except with no vegetables. They didn't have the animation for that yet. Uh, Matthew is not identified as Levi in Mark, but is in Matthew's gospel. So you know what that means. Because you remember... Matthew is probably using Mark's gospel to write his gospel. So he's reading along and he says, they called me Levi at the tax collector's booth, but then you list me as Matthew in the um, apostles list, but you never identify that they're the same person. And so whenever he writes his gospel, he's like, to clarify, that was me. Don't you love that? I love that. He clarifies. Well, that was me. Just so we're on the same page. Uh, Bartholomew is a, it's a Greek form of the Aramaic son of Ptolemy. Anytime you see bar in a name, it means son of bar is son of. So like, you know, they have bar mitzvahs, right? It's where the son is becoming of age bar mitzvah. So, um, it's, it's the same idea. Also, um, you're not going to see this really in biblical literature, but in modern day bot is the female equivalent daughter of. So like they have bot mitzvahs in the progressive Jewish circle. So that would be like a, females coming of age kind of thing and you see that in some places like there's some author i read they had bat something as part of their name um interestingly Ptolemy was the name of the king of jesher whose daughter married king david uh the son of Ptolemy in the old testament was absalom so you remember absalom who tried to overtake uh the throne from david so that's interesting was Absalom also the one with the really, really long hair? Yes. That got his head torn off whenever he was riding on a well, horse? Well, he didn't get torn off, but he got caught in a tree and just happened to speak. Yes. Yes. Yeah, take that pretty boy. I mean, yeah. That's... He was a pretty boy. He was a pretty, yeah. That's interesting. Did he have dreadlocks, Hannah? No. No? You don't know? No. But John the Baptist had dreadlocks. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I have no idea what significance to make of that. Mark doesn't really dwell on it. It's probably just a, a name 
Of course, I'm going to chase it down just in case there's some significant meaning. Uh, Matthew is a Greek form of the Hebrew matai, which are shortened forms of matini, meaning gift of Yahweh. Notice how many of these names have to do with gifts and graciousness of Yahweh. It's interesting. Uh, this name occurs in the Old Testament several times. It's Aramaic occurs several times. When you, when you have a baby, that's what you're thinking. This is a gift of God. You know, and so I can see it's Certainly. that time of naming. Certainly. That's in your mind. And in a world where most children are not going to live even right. to age seven. Right. If you made it to seven in this world, you were doing awesome. Yeah. Really, really good. You had good chances. If you could live to seven, you had good chances. Even 30 or 40 was a pretty good life. 50 was like really good. Anything beyond that was like miraculous. Like, whoa, God loves you. Um, also, interestingly, uh, Matthew, a name Matthew also occurs in the list of Jesus' ancestors. So, it's not, it's not this one. It's too far removed, but it's interesting. I wonder if Jesus says, oh, Matthew, yes, my great, 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 great grandfather on my mother's side was named Matthew. I don't know. Um, Let's see. Thomas is a proper Greek name elsewhere called Didymus, meaning twin, especially in John. Thomas plays a much bigger role in the Gospel of John. Thomas gets like a lot more airtime in the sequel. I don't know. Um, And of course, you know, you get the doubting Thomas from John. You would never get that from any of these others. But it's also interesting because speculations about who his twin was led to a lot of early, like, writings. So there's this book called The Acts of Thomas, which is just this big speculation about who is, who is his twin? Don't you love they just couldn't leave that alone? Mm-hmm. Well, he's a twin. Well, who's the twin? Yeah. Well, we have to know, of course. And so they just start coming up with, with ideas of who this is. Um, he's also the supposed author of the popular Gospel of Thomas. Have you heard of the Gospel of Thomas? Um, it's, it's like talked about in news circles a lot and tossed around. I'm not terribly fascinated by the Gospel of Thomas, but I'm going to tell you a few little things about it just so you can not be swept away by ignorant popularity. You said that they thought some people think that Jesus was his twin. Yeah. Some people have said that. Well, that's what they said in the Acts of Thomas. That's crazy. Yeah. In the Acts of Thomas, this apocryphal book, they said, oh, Jesus is the twin of Thomas. Duh. That's why he was called. And you're like, that's weird. The vast majority of the non-New Testament texts, I think, only debatably the Gospel of Thomas are just so much later. They're, yeah, and they're so weird. And they're just like they're so weird. fan fiction. It's like... They're bad fan fiction is what they are. like, oh, look, this is the Gospel of Jesus. So are you, fam- are like, you familiar with fan fiction for some of my older friends in the audience? Uh, fan fiction is where, like, so if I'm really into, like, say, Harry Potter... I just can't stand that there's not anything else on Harry Potter. So I'm going to go online and just start writing my own because I'm such a fan. And let me tell you, don't look it up. It's terrible. Also, it's awfully super weird, but also it's just lame. Like it's really bad. There's no good fan fiction that I've ever read. And I have read some of it. And it's like, so, so like, for example, it's like Harry Potter, but then they'll bring in Transformers and you're like, it's, it's, it's just weird. Just make it up. They, they make it up. They're just, they're just having fun, right? I mean, it, it's, it's completely speculative. That's kind of what we're getting here is some bad fan fiction, especially Gnostics. You familiar? Have you heard of the Gnostics before, those that have this secret knowledge? And, well, I have secret knowledge, so I can write the, I can write the real story. Right. Okay, Gospel of Thomas. Uh, we only discovered it in 1945. It was in a collection called the Nag Hammurabi text. Now, this is interesting, and this is really important. It's, I, I, I hate that we call it the Gospel of Thomas. 
Because it's not a gospel. It's 114 sayings of Jesus with no narrative content. It's like Proverbs. It's listed sayings and parables of Jesus. There's no narrative structure. So even though Mark and Matthew and Luke, so, you know, they use a lot of the same stories, but notice how they put them in different places and they weaved them together. But still there is a narrative flow to our gospels, right? They have purposefully patched the stories of Jesus together to make a good read. Thomas just has, well, Thomas has just slapped down sayings of Jesus, 114. And some of them are the same that are in our Bible. Some of them are, are, are the same or similar. Most of them are not and are super, super weird. Super, super weird. Um, uh, you can just Google it online. I'll send it, I'll send it to you. Yeah, it's free online. Uh, I, wouldn't purchase, I wouldn't pay money for it. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, the book is labeled as Gnostic. That means it's, uh, the, the Gnostics are these people that have, Gnos, Gnosis means uh, knowledge, right? Um, so you have this secret knowledge. I've got the secret knowledge. And so then you read these things, and I'll, I'm going to show you some of the weird sayings that he has in the Gospel of Thomas in a minute, and you'll be like, what does this mean? And if you said that, then the Gnostics are going to be like, ah, so you're not one of us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, this, it's like this insider club that, like, if you know the lingo, you just participate. And if you don't, then it's like, ah, so you're not one of us. I mean, it's, it's weird. If you know, you know. It's that kind of phenomenon. Uh, there's a popular movement among really liberal scholars to see the Gospel of Thomas as the absolute earliest gospel and to favor and say, well, this is the purest description of Jesus in the gospel trying to deceive us. And, I mean, it might be a tad earlier than we have previously thought. But if it's earlier than we had thought, here's the catch. Remember what Luke says at the beginning of his gospel. Because I really think this is part of what Luke is doing in the formation of his gospel. Luke says, I have taken it up to write an orderly account. In other words, it seems to me like that by the time Luke is writing, which is, I mean, just not that far along in the first century already. It, it seems to me Luke is saying, okay, look, some miraculous stuff happened, yes, but not stupid stuff. He's like, let's distinguish. I think that's part of what he's doing because he's like, yes, some, some truly out of the ordinary things did happen. He rose from the dead and, and, and he rose other people, some of this stuff. But then it's like, yeah, but like it wasn't, Jesus didn't say these really obscure things that have no meaning. Yeah, he said some difficult parables, but you can tell the difference when you just put them up side by side and say, this is not like that. And I think that's part of what Luke is doing in writing his gospel. Um, Luke goes back, like, it's really the only complete, like, birth of yes. Jesus and what Mary said and what yep. Elizabeth said. Yeah, I mean, and that, part two. Yeah, I mean, that's just like totally extra, additional information. Yes. Wasn't there before and, yes and the I most thorough going man no one even talked about the miraculous birth yeah you know yeah which i think shows the difference mark is probably giving us his notes from listening to peter's sermons matthew is a rabbi he's doing the old testament work uh matthew is a failed rabbi he's working at a tax collector's booth he must have right. flunked rabbi school but um matthew is he, he's a a a, a Levite, or was, in training perhaps, and, and he certainly has that Old Testament grounding and training. Then you get to Luke. Luke's a researcher. He says this. He's a doctor, and he's a researcher. He's like, I've taken it up. I, I went back and talked to all the people, and I looked at the sources, and I, 
I mean, he's the only one that kind of footnotes. Uh, everybody else just takes the information and uses it. Luke is like, well, I had sources. Um, I mean, Mary had to, he had to interview Mary. Certainly. She was a huge figure in the early church. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why did they assign this to Thomas? It's a great question. Because it says in the first saying, these are the secret sayings that the living Jesus spoke and Didymus Judas Thomas wrote down. So it claims that it's by him. Yeah, it claims that it's by him, but it's probably not by him. A lot of the Gnostic writers would claim that they somebody when they wrote Yeah. They want to put their own name Yeah. Yeah, I have a hunch Thomas is rolling over in his grave or, or you know, he's cringing in heaven right now like, ugh. I <laughs> can't believe they attributed this to me. But um, here's the first two sayings of the Gospel of Thomas. You ready? I'm going to let you in on the secret knowledge. And Jesus said, whoever finds out what these sayings mean will not taste death. So, if you want to be in, you've got to understand these sayings. Uh, the second one, some of the content is really, really bizarre. Here's the seventh saying. Jesus said, blessed is the lion that is eaten by a human so that the lion becomes human. And cursed is the human that is eaten by a lion so that the lion becomes human. What? Well, I'm just not in the know. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's truly, like, obscure and kind of ridiculous. Uh, this means you are what you eat. You are. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, here's another one. Jesus said to them, if you fast, you will commit a sin. If you pray, you will be damned. If you give alms, you will bring evil upon your souls. What? Uh, here's another one, the 81st saying. Jesus said, whoever has understood the world... Uh, has unearthed a corpse, and whoever has unearthed that corpse is someone of whom the world is not worthy. What does that mean? Aha! You're not one of us! I'm not. 108. That's very much what they're like. Like the the, the, the quans. Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're these little, almost like couplets that yeah. seem to like be their own revelation of themselves. Yeah. And if you don't know... You don't. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what a lot of the Gnostic sayings are. Because even the Gnostics books that have more narrativity to them, it's just this, packaged differently. Um, so here's, here's yet another one. Jesus said, whoever drinks from my mouth will become as I am. I too, I will become him and the hidden things will be shown to him. The word of the Lord. This is crazy. But don't, don't fast, pray, or give alms. With the words of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Here's some more. I don't know. I just find this stuff hilarious. Uh, here's the last saying. Simon Peter said to the other disciples, Mary should leave us for women do not deserve life. And Jesus said to him, watch, I will show her the way to become a man so that she too may become a living spirit like you men. For any woman who becomes a man will enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Yet another reason to write it off. It's sexist. But for real, notice that. Notice Luke's gospel that I think is interacting with some of this stuff is the most evenly spread about showing the female and male disciples of Jesus. I'm just saying. They're, they're saying, eh. I, I, it's interesting. I mean, surely they're saying eh to most of the other stuff as well. But I'm just saying this is yet another one of the things that they saw and went, no, Jesus would never say that. Right. Uh, there are some things in it that are similar or identical to sayings that we have in the Synoptic Gospels. So uh, here's one that looks really similar to something in Mark that we're going to read in chapter 4 here shortly. Uh, Jesus said, a sower went out with a handful of seeds and cast them. Some landed on a path, and the birds came and picked 
uh, pecked them out. Others landed on rocks where they could not reach the soil and so could not produce a crop. Others landed on thorns with smothered the seeds and the worms ate them, but others landed in good soil. And these sent up a good crop, some 60 per measure and some 120 per measure. So that's not that far off. It's slightly different. It is different, but it's, it's pretty similar to what we have. Here's another one that's really similar, the 21st saying. Uh, Jesus' disciples said to him, tell us what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus said to them, it's like a mustard seed. No seed is smaller, but if it falls on unsuitable ground, such a luxuriant plant springs forth from it that the birds of the sky find shade beneath it. A lot of people will see like, well, you accept Jesus' sayings in the Gospels. Of course. Ha ha! We have some of the same ones here. I'm like, okay. Good lies are partially true. Yeah, and some, some things that Jesus said if you didn't have the context of where, where it was said, or it, it wouldn't make any sense to us either. Maybe they either go. left out the context, context because it was obvious to the to their in their time. You know, mm. in other words, it would have been like some an inside generational mm-hmm. uh, reference, or it's just kind of yeah. <laughs> and so, thinking of this too, another reason we I think we shouldn't call it a gospel. Notice that the Gospels we have in our scriptures, apparently you don't have to have the birth narrated to be considered a Gospel. Because only two of them have it. But what element, for sure, there are several that are shared, but what element is always shared in all four? There is no Gospel without the crucifixion and the resurrection. This isn't, this isn't good news. This is absurd news. This isn't good. Um... Jesus, here's another one. Uh, Jesus said, love your brother as yourself. Look after him as you would the people of your own eye. Similar. Uh, Jesus said, the, the, you see the grain of sand in your brother's eye, but you do not see the rock in your own eye. When you remove the rock from your own eye, then you will see clearly enough to be able to remove the grain of sand from your brother's eye. Just like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So some of it's pretty similar. Uh, it really just seems like uh, reshaping material from the synoptics. So it really seems like the stuff that they share, it doesn't seem... So, like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? It seems like this came, comes after, in my thought. Um, and and they're, they're taking stuff from Matthew and Mark probably to make the other weirder things they say seem more legitimate. Right? So if you take things that others are a little bit more already apt to agree with, Matthew and Mark, notice most of them come from Matthew and Mark. Very few of the parallels are the same as in Luke. Right? Which is why, again, I think Luke is somewhat responding to some of the absurdity. Um, but it, it was known by the early church fathers, and it was clearly rejected. I mean, it is sexist, it's anti-Semitic, and it's just plain weird. Which are all things that the early church was like, yeah, no, that's not our Jesus. Which is, to me, um, and this is, of course, not like a, this is a debate about what's in the canon versus not in the canon, but I think there's still a lesson here, and that is, if it doesn't quack like a duck, it's probably not a duck. If it doesn't seem like Jesus, it's probably not Jesus. Which is what Jesus says, um, you will know them by their fruits. Is it bearing good fruit? Because a good tree does not bear bad fruit, and a bad tree does not bear good fruit. And so, um, I mean, whenever you see this and people are, like, toting it up, like, ah, the gospel, it doesn't seem to bear good fruit. It didn't bear good fruit in the first centuries. It doesn't really bear good fruit now. Um, But also in our day, there will always be interpretations or other things that people will prop up. But is it bearing good fruit? Does it seem like Jesus? Because you know Jesus. Like, you know Jesus. He lives in you. You know him. You have a relationship with him. Does it sound like something he would say or do? You have a pretty good sense about those things if you've read the Gospels. 
that are actually gospels. You know, every generation seems like they they need to have relevance or something mm. they've discovered or yeah. something that that no one else got. But yeah, we're enlightened. Yeah, and there's a need for every generation, and sometimes that need pushes us to bring in things that are just mm-hmm. not what they were intended or. I don't know, it's a human nature. Yeah, it certainly is. There, there is something to be said for, like, a fresh moving of God. Sure. But, like, that's different from saying, like, um, the no- being addicted to the novel. Right. Right, like, something new and novel is always the best. No, clearly it's not. <laughs> that's just the way and, in fact, the, the most ancient things are often the very <laughs> things that produce the most creativity for new expressions of that same old thing. Right. So, to me... Um, it's, it's once I go back to scripture that I find inspiration for a sermon that I've never preached before from the same text, right? Um, yeah. All right, we'll continue talking about the disciples next week. We'll talk about some of these other obscure disciples. But there you go, the Gospel of Thomas. You're in the know. You're now in the secret realm. You have the gnosis. All right, I'm going to pray and then we'll, uh, we'll end class. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. We give you praise. Thank you for another day of life and breath and joy. Uh, thank you for the sunshine. Um, thank you for uh, the little bit of rain that we got. Thank you for hot cups of coffee. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for friendship. And thank you for the faith that we all share that binds us together. We just pray that no matter where you are being worshipped today, here in Bastrop or all over the world, that you would be glorified and honored and loved and cherished. May it be all to the glory of your name, Jesus. In that name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Text and Context podcast. If you're interested in some other great content, then you can go over to my website. It's txtandcontxt.com. It's text and context without E's in it. So again, that's txtandcontxt.com. Head on over there and check out a bunch of free resources and plenty of articles about a wide range of topics as well as book reviews and plenty more. Thank you for listening.